Good morning. Um, as David announced, I'm Ruth, and I'm really happy to be with you this morning. So I'm going to start with the reading, which is from John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23, and the words will be on the screen. So Jesus appears to his disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come together now and we can read your word, we can learn from your word. Take these words now, take our thoughts and speak into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So, what's your favorite greeting when you meet people? Maybe it's a very stiff, how are you? Or it's a big hugger with pre-COVID. Or were you an air kisser? Or like me, a bit of a grunter when you get out of bed. Imagine as a nation, we thought we wanted the world to perceive us in a better light, so we thought we'd rebrand ourselves. And one of those things might be to include a new greeting to people, to make us more welcoming. I'm not sure we'd use the Tibetan idea of sticking out our tongues. It was a sign of peace, but to show that you were not um, apparently a cruel 9th century king, or at least a reincarnation of him. Or there's the, comfort, the, um, sorry, the sharing of breath from the indigenous people in New Zealand. But this involves rubbing noses and foreheads. So I feel that might be outside some people's comfort zones. My favorite one would be, of course, Jesus' greeting that we heard of today, the peace, used by Jewish people, um, Muslim people, and Christians today. Now, it comes from shalom, the Semitic word. Well, that's the Hebrew word, but it is a Semitic, from the Semitic language. And it's not like the English word, where you, you know, I'm, I'm not coming with a weapon, or I'm not going to have an argument today. It's much more than that. It's about wholeness and completeness and tranquility. And it's just an amazing greeting, isn't it, to give people that you want that for them. And Paul took that um, with grace. He used to say in his letters, grace and peace. And with that, he, he put the emphasis on Jesus' death. Now let's come to Jesus now. He also brings in a new emphasis on this peace after his death. 
Now, when he walked into the room, I feel like there would be a lot of tension. It wouldn't take a psychoanalyst to work that out, would it? But you know what? There's interesting words there that John puts, puts there. The door is locked. Now, gospel writers were not known for their detailed descriptions to please the English teacher. Why does he include that little detail? Now, forgive me if I've got a romantic image of the first century Palestine, but I don't think it's anything to do with being worried about being burgled. No, they're tense because they're worried about the Jewish or the Roman leaders, where they want to get rid of Jesus' um, followers as well. But Jesus knows there's more than that. They've actually lost a friend. They're really, really, really sad. And some of them are feeling guilty, and some of them are thinking, oh, maybe we could have done more to help Jesus. Jesus brings the greeting that day because he knows they need it. It was more than just, you know, the, the, the first century, how are you? He actually says it twice, doesn't he? He needs to put emphasis on it. Now think of that. When, when you go and visit somebody in their house, and, you know, you haven't seen them for a long time, and you meet them and you say, how are you? And they say, oh, very well, thank you. And then you sit down with a cup of coffee and you say, how are you really? And I feel Jesus is actually reminding them, when he says the peace, he promised them, the peace that will pass understanding before he dies. And then there's that special moment of sharing his breath, of sharing the Holy Spirit, not like the Maori people in, in New Zealand. It's, it's a little bit like, do you remember Genesis where um, God breathes into to mankind, doesn't he? to breathe life into them. But now Jesus is breathing his Holy Spirit because they are, they are a new creation for this new kingdom that he's brought about through his death. And not only is he just sharing with them his peace, he needs to give them the power of the Holy Spirit in order for them to be able to share this peace and this message of good news and reconciliation and wholeness with God. Now, as you don't know, um, I had an accident, and so I was in hospital, and I was confined to bed for a day. So I had some time to think, as you can imagine. And one of my um, thoughts was, I was going to prepare this talk. And I thought, ooh, maybe I'll have a really exciting experience of peace, a sort of miraculous peace. But I'm actually going to share two rather negative pictures, but I felt there were things that, um, pictures that we could learn from. So the first is of a woman who was, you could have said, at peace because she was lying there asleep a lot of the time. We were envious of her because she could sleep through anything, through cleaners, through, you know, all the doctors coming around. She didn't have any complaints. But you know what? When she woke up, she'd sort of given up. She'd given up on life. And that's not the sort of peace that Jesus is offering us or the disciples that day. Not, it's not an acceptance of, oh, you know, I just have to accept everything that's wrong. Jesus wants wholeness 
for us. And he wants us to grasp that. He wants us to grasp the reconciliation with God, to know that forgiveness. So it's not just a, like a, a deep sleep. It's, it's then, and it's not some spiritual high. It's then going on to say to others that, that you want to share God's peace with them. And that moves me on to the next picture, because there was another lady, and, you know, she was very friendly and, and might seem very, you know, fine on the surface. But there's not a lot of privacy in the hospital. And you can hear everybody's phone calls. And it was quickly obvious that she was very worried about things, about going back home and managing. And when she got these well-meaning sisters ringing her up, they made her feel worse. They sort of um, obviously stirred up all the things that she'd been worrying about. And I thought about our responsibility and about as, and my second point is really to ask God about our communication with people and how we communicate. Do we stir people up so that they're just more worried or do we share a peace that passes understanding with them? And we need to ask God about that. Well, there's a third picture, and this is miraculous peace. This is the peace that passes understanding. And we're going to see a clip now, if it works, um, which um, is going to be shared. It's not from my hospital bed, but it's from another hospital bed. So let's see if the clip works today. We've got a standby if it doesn't. In the Bible, there's a close connection between hope and faith. It says to have faith is to be sure of the things we hope for. But what about when times are so bleak, it seems all hope is lost? For 37-year-old Louise Blythe, hope and faith were found in the most unlikely circumstances. Take me back 10 years or so um, and tell me a bit about how life was like then. So 10 years ago, I was actually just about to get married to my first husband, George. My life probably was very much the fairy tale that everybody dreams of. I had the boy I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. We had a home together and it felt like we had the world at our feet. Look at this little cherub we found. Louise and George were married in 2011 and soon after had two sons. But when the youngest was only eight months old in 2015, the couple received devastating news. George was diagnosed with advanced bowel cancer. I don't think anything can ever prepare you for life-altering news. And I always say to people, actually, the moment that my world changed was when George was diagnosed with cancer, not when he actually ended up dying of cancer. And that's because our old lives and our old perspective on life ended in that, that moment. completely. Faith was not something that featured at all in our lives. But as George's death got closer, that was when I definitely started to kind of think, is there more? And I actually went out one night and just screamed at the world and asked God 
to show himself. And it was that cry out to the world, which is what I would have called it at the time, which was the beginning of the most remarkable turn of miraculous events that surrounded George's death that led to me having an unfaltering belief in Jesus. It came as a text message from a friend of mine who'd met someone who was a friend of a friend at a wedding. And this girl had come over to my friend and said, there's someone that you know that's really sick and I feel really, really compelled that I'm supposed to pray for them. And she offered to come to Nottingham from London to come and pray with us as, as George was in the hospital. We said these prayers and I was sat there thinking, this is really great and really nice and I really want to believe in this, but this just surely can't be real. At that moment, George puts his hand out and asks this woman to come and sit closer to him. And then there was just this feeling in the room of peace, of lightness, of clouds. And I didn't want it to end. And then the next day, went into hospital and found George laying in his bed. And the sun was coming in through the room. And this was seven days before he died. So he was really sick. But he was laid in his bed with his arms out. And he just said to me, all of the pain, all of the pain I've been feeling has gone. And then we had, after this kind of watershed moment, this beautiful time before his death, we had five days in hospital where he laid and basked in the Holy Spirit. The hospital room was filled with such perfect peace and hope. It was unbelievable. Some would say it's, it's a miracle in, in, in a way. I've asked myself that question so many times. I've asked myself, you know, why, why was George diagnosed with cancer? Why did he have to die? Why did this crazy supernatural miracle happen around us? But, you know, Sometimes we never know why, and that's one of the hardest things to make peace with, but I'm thankful it did happen. So here it is. In the years since George's death, Louise left her job in order to write a book to share her story of hope. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And happily, just last year, she found love again, and in September, married Colin in a special lockdown wedding. How's your relationship with the word hope now? Has it changed over the years? So, yeah, I mean, if 10 years ago you'd asked me what I was hoping for, the answer would have been very, you know, grounded in earthly realms of success. Now, for me, hope is so much more than that. It's an eternal hope, and it's... It's a really special word. It's, it's written on the side of the church that I go to in Nottingham. It is, hope is, for me, what my faith is. Well, I think that speaks for itself, doesn't it? But two people received the peace that passes understanding wholeness, completeness, harmony. 
not a magic mushroom kind where, you know, everything lived happily ever after and George went home to his children. But he had eternal peace. And that peace was experienced by all around him. Well, you know what? There was somebody else in that story and that's what struck me. Somebody, somebody like you and me, I don't think that person that went to pray with Louise was anybody different. And I don't think they had some flashing, miraculous light. I think they were just perhaps praying and that something nagged at them. There was a compulsion. There was something that led them to think about the wedding and, and a friend of a friend. And I, I, it, it all sounds very complicated. But I think that's a challenge to us, isn't it? That God uses us to pray with that person. He just pushes us, nags us. And maybe today at the, in the hymn, it's uh, the song that we're going to end with, we'll want to, to pray about that, is to, to follow that nagging feeling. But there's one other thing I want to to share with you. I know that some of us might just be thinking, Ruth, I just feel like so lacking in peace. You know, you don't know what my life's like. It's so busy. I don't, everything's going on in my life. I haven't got time for this, that, and the other. And I'd like to recommend a book that um, I've just read, and I know a few people have read, and it's called um, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I'm just going to pick out one thing from that um, for now, which is about peace. And he quotes a man named Stephen Covey, who you may know, a famous American, who writes about the seven habits of effective people. He's not a Christian, but the author, Mark Corner, um, points out that one of his habits is people receive peace when their schedule is aligned with their values. People receive peace when their schedule is aligned with their values. And what the author, the Christian author says, is that's a little bit like the monks, that they put spiritual disciplines at the top of their priority, and then they had sleep and exercise and work and so forth. Now, don't be scared by the idea of monks and spiritual disciplines and think, well, that's way beyond me. He then uses a picture of the vine, that we abide in the vine, that's Jesus. And any vine grows much better if it has a trellis. It grows stronger. And see the spiritual disciplines, the things that support us to get to know Jesus. And that will keep us, remain us, will remain in the vine. So my last point is really, if we're lacking in peace, is to consider our priorities again to check that we have a trellis. And if you're feeling like, well, Ruth, I just have, have no time, then that's where you need to read the book. And uh, he talks about how to, to prioritize. So, in summary, Jesus gave two blessings. So as we sing this next song, which is Oceans, I'd like us to, you know, allow ourselves, open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, to be open to this peace coming into our hearts.
to ask God to bring us that peace that passes understanding. The two blessings. When we receive peace, we share the peace with others. Now I thought of how it might be nice to end this. And if we'd all been physically present, there's a bit in the communion service where the leader says, the peace of the Lord be with you. And everybody says, and also with you. And then you sort of shake hands and, and, and share the peace. Now we can't do that. But in our account today, we know that the Holy Spirit was not limited by doors by physical places. We are online, we are together in a community of God and the Holy Spirit will work among us. So I'm going to say a prayer and then say that blessing, say the, the peace and respond thinking of our community, our Christian community online today. We pray, Lord, that we will be open to your peace that passes understanding. Fill us, Lord, with your peace. And as we receive your peace, help us to take it to others, to communicate your peace, to share your peace with others, to follow that nagging feeling. And Lord, we pray now, the peace of the Lord always be with you. And the people said, and also with you. Amen. So let's sing oceans and really reflect on it. Amen.